Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you. Uh, We are continuing our series this morning on the Beatitudes, and we've come to the fifth Beatitude, which is, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they, and only they, shall receive mercy. And actually, this um, beatitude follows on very well from PJ's message, if you were here last week, uh, on forgiveness. So to start out, let me just tell you a true story. This is a, a story that took place in small-town America many years ago, way back when, where there was a, uh, a shopkeeper in the town who had identical twin boys uh, who were inseparable. Uh, they dressed the same, they went everywhere together, and in fact many would say that it was their closeness was the reason why neither of them got married. When they came to middle age, their father died and the family business was handed over to them. And everyone admired the amazing partnership that these twin brothers had. Well, one day, they were particularly busy, and one of the brothers forgot to ring up a sale, and he left a dollar note on top of the cash register while he went to the front of the store to serve a customer. And when he remembered the dollar bill, and I guess a dollar bill was worth a lot more back then than it is now, he went back to the register and saw it was gone. So he questioned his brother about it. His brother said that he hadn't seen it. A little while later, he questioned his brother again, but this time with a a more suspicious tone, which his brother didn't take kindly to and became very defensive. And so they got into this argument And the conflict just got worse and worse as they made all kinds of accusations against one another. And the incredible outcome was the breakup of their partnership Um, and the installation of a partition wall that ran right down the middle of the store, uh, resulting in two separate businesses, two separate stores. And this went on for 20 years. True story. It was like a divisive sore in, the, in this small town. Then one day, a car with uh, out-of-state plates on came and parked outside the two stores, and a well-dressed man got out, and he went into one of the brother's stores, and he asked the brother how long the store had been there, and When he found it was over 20 years, he said to him, then you're the one I must settle an old score with. And this is what he said to him. He said, some 20 years ago, I was out of work, drifting from place to place, and I happened to get off the bus in your town. I had absolutely no money and had not eaten for three days. And I was walking down the alley behind your store. I looked in and saw a dollar bill on top of the cash register. Everyone else was in the front of the store, 
I'd been raised in a Christian home and had never stolen anything in my life. But that morning, I was so hungry, I gave in to temptation. I slipped through the door and I took that dollar bill. And that act has weighed upon my conscience ever since. And I finally decided I could never be at peace until I came back and made amends. So I'd like to replace that money and pay you whatever is appropriate for damages. Well, when the stranger had finished his confession, he was amazed to see the, the old storekeeper just weeping. And when the old man had regained control of his emotions, he took the stranger by the arm and said, you must come with me next door. I want you to tell your story to the store owner there, which he did. And this time, there were two identical-looking old men weeping side by side. If only they had been more forgiving, what pain they could have been spared. How different those 20 years might have looked. And all over a dollar bill. It's amazing, isn't it? Um, The grudges that some people will hold on to through their lives. I want to ask you this morning, um, how merciful and forgiving are you, do you think? Are you someone who tends to hold on to grievances? You know, you find it hard to let them go. Are there people who have offended you, who have hurt you, who you would uh, cross over the other side of the road to avoid? Or maybe you see them in the supermarket and you quickly scurry down the next aisle so you don't bump into them. Is there someone maybe right now who you are not talking to? Maybe a family member. Are there people who, if they got their comeuppance, you would secretly be doing a little happy dance inside because they got what they deserved. Revenge is sweet, isn't it? And it seems to come so naturally to us, maybe because the world that we live in is so unmerciful. I mean, just think about all the revenge movies out there, you know, Unforgiven, uh, The Equalizer, You know, Denzel serving unflinching justice for all the oppressed and the, you know, exploited. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've got to admit, I love that stuff. Right? There's something, in I think, in every one of us that responds to that. I think we all love seeing people get their comeuppance. Uh, But what does God think about that attitude? Jesus said, blessed are the... Merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And in fact, the same truth is echoed later on in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, verse 14. Jesus says there, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Whoa. That's a little sobering, isn't it? Don't you think? So what does that say? What are the implications for us if we are unforgiving and unmerciful? Right? What will our comeuppance be? 
you see? Does that mean that God will only forgive our sins and show us mercy if we ourselves will do that for others? Right? Is that the condition? Is it the condition for my being forgiven and accepted into heaven that I myself am forgiving? Well, we'll have to see. Right? Let me just leave you hanging there for a moment, okay? Let me leave you standing, as it were, on the precipice of hell while we look at what it means to be forgiving, okay? What does it mean to be merciful? You've noticed that I've chosen to interpret merciful as being forgiving to others. There's actually two ways uh, of interpreting what it means to be merciful, and they're interconnected, okay? So the first has to do with showing compassion to people in need and seeking to meet that need and to help uh, that person. Or as someone put it, mercy is compassion in action. Mercy is compassion in action. And probably the best example of that is the story that Jesus told of the Good Samaritan, um, who we're told had compassion on this man who had been beaten up and left dead. Um, and his compassion led to action as he took care of the man's needs. Right? It says at the end he, it, that he showed him mercy. Mercy is compassion in action. But mercy is also about forgiving. Or as one Bible commentator put it, justice cries out for punishment but mercy cries out for forgiveness. And some New Testament scholars would argue that in this beatitude, being merciful has that particular meaning because of the way that it's echoed later on, uh, as we saw, where Jesus says, forgive and you'll be forgiven. So it's describing someone who forgives and pardons another person who has wronged them. All right? But the two meanings are actually interconnected. So those who are truly able to forgive from the heart will have compassion for those who have wronged them and may even take action by repaying their evil with good. And in fact, we saw a great example of that last week uh, in the story that PJ uh, told of the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. Uh, Because if you know the story uh, of Joseph, you'll know that he'd been terribly wronged by his brothers They intended to murder him, but they sold him into slavery instead. And much later on in his life, when he'd been through so much, when he literally had his brothers at his mercy, that's exactly what he showed them, mercy. He was merciful towards them. We see that in the story because he had compassion. It says that he, he wept for them. And not only that, but the compassion led to action as he took care of their needs. There was forgiveness because we're told that he says to them, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. There there came reconciliation in the end. So we see both of those aspects of mercy working together in the life of Joseph. And every child of God is called to have that same attitude. Because as Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. But how 
are we to become merciful? Because actually, none of us have a forgiving spirit by nature. Right? We are naturally inclined to think that people should get their comeuppance. And especially, of course, when they hurt us or cheat us or lie to us, betray us, mistreat us, abuse us. And not just us, but our loved ones, our children. I have a situation not long ago, actually, when one of my grown boys uh, was, in my opinion, wronged by someone. And I had to keep discipline in my mind because it kept wanting to go to carry out certain scenarios where this person will get their comeuppance, where I call Denzel, you know, or something like that. We want justice. And yet we're told that only the merciful will be shown mercy. And that if we don't forgive people who wrong us, then God won't forgive us. Do you think that sounds unfair? Jesus told a parable about a person who did get their comeuppance. And in fact, we heard it last week. And I'm going to, um, I want us to go there again because I really want to major on this parable. It's the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18. And if you know the story, you'll know that the servant owed his master a huge sum of money. I mean, it would be over a million dollars in today's money. So the debt was impossible to repay, and it meant that he and his family would be sold into slavery. And so this man pleaded with his master. And his master, with amazing compassion, forgave the entire debt. But incredibly, this servant went out found one of his fellow servants who owed him just a hundred dollars and threw him in prison because he wasn't paying it, wasn't able to pay it. And so when the other servants heard about this, they went to their master about this injustice. And this is what it says in Matthew 18, verse 32. It says, Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then Jesus says this. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you. Unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Wow. Wow. Think about it. You see, if you find yourself getting uptight as you read that last line there, like, how can God treat me like that after what they did to me? then you've clearly not understood the story. You've not placed yourself in the story. As we heard last week, you see, we are the ones. We are the ones who owe the insurmountable debt. In biblical times, when someone was unable to pay back a debt, they often ended up in slavery And that's how the Bible describes mankind's condition, that we are slaves to sin. That ever since those first humans chose to live their own way over God's way, 
and rebelled against God by taking matters into their own hands and pursuing their own self-interest, it led to a breakdown of relationships. Vertically between us and God and horizontally between humans, between siblings, Cain and Abel, two brothers in a store, between husbands and wives, between neighbors, between races, between nations. We find there's jealousy and deceit, betrayal, unfaithfulness, pride, bitterness, all leading to escalating hostility and violence, right? That's been the history of mankind. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But it all leads to death. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. That we're all of us under that sentence and we cannot get out of it. Right? We can't make things right because the debt is too big. That's our situation. That's what this parable is telling us. And so all we can do is cry out to God for mercy. And as we heard in this story, the master was very merciful. Right? He had compassion. He, he canceled, forgave the entire debt. And the servant was released from the sentence he was facing. But of course, the incredible thing about that is that this is not just a story, is it? See, this is pointing us to a wonderful reality. Right? It's pointing us to Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. It's on the cross that we really come to see what mercy truly looks like. Right? That's where we see compassion in action. That's where we see forgiveness instead of punishment. We see Jesus, the Son of God, entering our fallen world, subjecting himself to its hostility as he suffered betrayal and rejection and violence at the hands of sinful mankind. And then what did he say? What did he say even as he was being murdered? Even as he hung there on that cross, his life is ebbing away, suffering in terrible agony, what did Jesus say? As he looked upon the people who were responsible for putting him there, what did he say? Father, forgive them. Why? Because they don't know what they're doing. It's not them, Father. It's the evil that controls them. They're slaves to sin. They've been blinded by the evil one. Father, please forgive them. They don't realize what they're doing. Jesus had compassion for them. The very people who were mocking him, abusing him, killing him, and yet, even as they were doing this, he was deliberately laying down his life for them. Right? He willingly and purposefully was making atonement for their sins and ours so that we could be forgiven. Right? Because you see, it wasn't just their wrongdoing that he was asking forgiveness for. It was ours as well. Right? Because it was our sin that put him on the cross. Right? That made it necessary for him to die. It's as if we were also in the crowd on that day with his blood on our hands. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Have mercy on them. I'll pay the price so that their debt, our debt, can be forgiven. 
It's on the cross, you see, we see compassion in action. It's on the cross we see Jesus taking our punishment so that instead of us getting our comeuppance, we might receive mercy instead. And that is the gospel. That is the good news. And so what then should be our response to those who sin against us? Those who wrong us, those who may hurt us. See, what is the point of the parable here that Jesus told? Well, as we heard last week, if we've been forgiven this much, surely it stands to reason that we in turn should be merciful and forgive the debt of others Right, which from a heavenly perspective is this much. It means having pity on people who are consumed with anger and bitterness, who are being controlled by fear and pride, who have been blinded by the evil one. Those same people who may hurt us, who may wrong us, it means with God's help finding a way through our emotions to see that person as God sees them, as someone who is in desperate need of God and his mercy, right? Because that's exactly where we stood. But what if we don't? What if we don't want to forgive? What if we don't feel like being merciful? What does Jesus Say, what does he mean when he says the Father would not forgive us? Does it mean that in the end we're going to be tormented like this wicked servant in the parable? Was Jesus really teaching that I can only be forgiven to the extent that I will forgive others? If that were the case, if you and I were to be strictly judged by those terms, not one of us here would be forgiven. Not one of us would see heaven. We could never meet that standard. And what's more, it goes against the rest of Scripture. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for our forgiveness. It's by grace we've been saved. The unmerited favor of God, not by our works. So let me just bring you back from the precipice, okay, if I may. What, again, is the parable of the unmerciful servant telling us? Who forgave first in the story? The master did. Right? So the first movement of forgiveness is not from us, it's from God, right? God forgave us first. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Forgiveness starts with God. But you see, having been forgiven, having experienced God's incredible mercy, then it follows that we will in turn be merciful towards others. And you see, the fact that the wicked servant did not do so, there's a reason why he's called the wicked servant, right? Is because he was unrepentant, clearly unrepentant. And so he did not receive mercy in the end. You see, forgiving others is the test of whether we ourselves have truly been forgiven. If I'm able to forgive others and show them mercy, it can only be because of one thing. 
that I myself have experienced and received forgiveness. Because none of us here by nature have a forgiving spirit. If you are a truly merciful person, it's not because you are better than the rest of us. Okay? There can only be one reason that you have received mercy. You have been blessed. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And it's because we have received mercy, right? It's because we've received this incredible blessing from God that we can then be merciful and will in the end be shown mercy on the last day. It all begins and ends with God. But if we refuse to be merciful and we harbor bitterness and grudges and we insist on our rights and we want others to pay, we are demonstrating we do not have a relationship with God. Right? His spirit is not in us. We are outside of Christ and among the unforgiven. We're still part of this fallen dog-eat-dog world. A world in which, sadly, brothers will divide over a dollar. And if that's you, the Bible says, repent. Repent. God is merciful. God is very merciful. He will forgive you. So are you a merciful person? Am I? I need to ask myself, that question, you know, am I able to forgive people from the heart, as Jesus said? And what does that mean? Well, it means going beyond just saying I forgive. It means finding compassion in my heart for them so that I can pray for them. It means seeking their good. And if possible, even ultimately reconciliation because it's compassion in action, you see. Am I capable of that? Are you? Are you capable of that? Now, let me just qualify that because there may be some people here today who are just beginning to doubt their salvation, okay? So, and there may, you know, there may be people here today who are really, truly struggling to forgive someone for the terrible way that they have treated them or hurt them. And maybe you can't even imagine seeking their good right now, right? If you were to open your mouth to pray for them, nothing's coming out. Let alone consider reconciliation. Maybe you're wondering, have I really been forgiven then? Or am I among the unforgiven? So let me just say, if you are struggling to forgive someone, those feelings and emotions You know, that hurt and that anger, that emotion is very normal, even for the forgiven. Okay? And especially if that offense was recent, you may still be in emotional shock. Therefore, I want to say to you, don't let your feelings condemn you. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Right? Those emotions are normal. And there is a process to forgiving. And it may mean you've got to fight those feelings of revenge and bitterness for a while. 
And last week, in fact, PJ gave us some tools for doing that. So I just encourage you to go back to that message. What's more, it doesn't mean that you have to trust that person or put up with continued mistreatment or abuse. It doesn't mean that they shouldn't face the consequences for their actions. I mean, you can look at someone in the face and say, I forgive you, but I don't trust you. That's what a mother whose husband has abused her children will likely need to say. But the point I'm making here is that there is a process to showing mercy that requires us to draw deeply from God And it may take time. It may even take years, depending on the nature of the offense. But it is a process, and it should lead to action. Okay? So I want to ask you, if you've been hurt in some way, if someone has done something bad to you, offended you in some way, uh, where are you in that process? And are you willing? Are you willing? Because actually, that is the bottom line here. Are you willing? Are you open to being merciful? Are you willing to go on that journey with God? Are you willing to ask for his help in this? Because if you are willing, that is a sign. See, that is a sign of God's grace in you. Right? It's a sign that you've been forgiven and that you can therefore forgive and that you can be merciful because you know what it is to receive mercy. And it's a blessing that God intends to overflow from your life and mine into the lives of others. And it's powerful. It has power to change lives. It has power to heal marriages. It has power to unite families and to transform even communities. No one's pretending that this is easy or that it's without cost. But as we are going to take communion here in a minute, right? we are remembering that Jesus has already paid the greatest cost for us with his own life. Okay, And if you are willing, then he will help you right? because he's alive today and it's his own spirit in us who enables us to forgive even as we have been forgiven. Amen? Is there anyone you need to forgive from the heart and start that process? Is there another step you need to take in that process? Before I close, let me just uh, share another quick story about forgiveness. It's often quoted from Corrie Ten Boom's book, The Late Corrie Ten Boom, and her book, The Hiding Place. And I was reticent to share this because I thought it's such a familiar story. Everyone knows it. And then I suddenly thought, no, it's probably a whole new generation never heard of Corrie Ten Boom. You're homeschooled. You, you, of course you know it. <laughs> so... Corrie and her sister, Betsy, uh, were Dutch Christians um, who, during World War II, helped Jews to uh, escape the Holocaust by hiding them in their home uh, from the Nazis. 
but they were eventually captured. They were caught, and they ended up in uh, Ravensbrück uh, concentration camp, which was a labor camp for women in Germany, where they were subjected to terrible abuse. Um, over the time there, Betsy's health deteriorated, and eventually she died there uh, in the camp. In fact, 15 days later after her death, Corrie was released, although apparently because of a clerical error. And then just one week after she was released, all the women in her age group were sent to the gas chamber. In her book, Corrie tells a story about a post-war meeting that she had with a guard from the camp. I'll just read what she said. She said, it was at a church service in Munich that I saw him, the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room at the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said, to think that, as you say, he has washed all my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to the people in Blomendale, the need to forgive, kept my hand by my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing. Not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy.